Thanks for listening to our New Chapel podcast. We're for people to connect with God and be raised to new life in Christ. Be sure to connect with us at newchapel.com and on social media to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel. Well, good morning, New Chapel. Hey, part four of our series on abundance. If you have anything to take notes with, now's the time to take that out. Uh, Just want to give one quick little plug before we jump into today. And that plug is that after each service today, uh, in the grow room, they're offering uh, an opportunity to do a little meet and greet with the band. We're trying to build up our band a little bit more. And so if you sing, hey, you're always welcome. We're like Chick-fil-A. We're always accepting applications. But as far as like, like if you can play the guitar or bass or drums or piano, I have a Hammond A3 with a B3 tone wheel. If you know, you know. If you can make that talk, you come back. We would love to meet you after service. I'll be back there. It's in the grow room, Cammy, some of the worship team. It's not a tryout, so don't feel pressure. We just want to be able to connect with you. If you want to be part of the team, we'd love for you to express your interest in that way. Uh, Abundance has been a series that has really added value to people, and I've heard that. It uh, means a lot to hear that, by the way. Uh, the first week, we talked about, uh, honestly, how money can be converted how you can take labor and you can take wisdom or product or capital and convert it. Uh, We showed you from the scriptures how that can be a way that you can abound with God. The second week of our series, we talked about the law of the hand, how money flows through channels. And specifically, we talked about the six-day opportunity, which was pretty cool. Last week, we talked about the storehouse blessing, how God commands his blessing on your storehouse, and I hope you have that $5 in that said book. Uh, Next week's going to be pretty cool. Next week, we're going to be talking about true riches, and it's maybe not what you think. Uh, It's going to definitely be a plus one weekend here at church. Uh, But today, if you're taking notes, the title of today's message is The Blessing in Honor. The Blessing in Honor. We are talking today about the tithe. Now, I know that when preachers like read scriptures from the Bible talking about the tithe, sometimes that makes people feel a little bit of pressure. It makes people feel uncomfortable. And that is the worst thing, by the way, that could ever happen to you. And so uh, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to leave. Uh, Preachers have a saying that we say back and forth to each other. We say, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs... The one that yelps the loudest is the one that got hit. And so I would not want you halfway through my message to stand up and go, and and tell everybody about your financial condition. I wouldn't want you to give me the stink eye the whole time that I'm preaching. And so I want to give you an opportunity. If you hate this concept, you don't want to talk about the tithe, here's your moment. Ready? You can leave. Three, two, one. Ushers. Weld the hinges. Nobody leaves. Lock the doors. Nobody leaves from here on out. No, today's going to be good, and and it's going to honestly be, I think, eye-opening for a lot of people. If you get this, I think that you will see God's blessing. I want to show you God's blessing in the tithe. We are a church who knows from the Word of God that God wants to bless you. Now, I know that some people have gone extreme with this, and they've tried to tout the merits of how much money or how much stuff they have is some sort of indicator for their spirituality, and I think that's gross. I think that's awful. I think people take advantage in that way. A lot of TV preachers, it just comes across a little little icky, if you know what I mean. Uh, Did you guys hear about the church that said, hey, for $1,000, you can pick out three hymns at church? Did you hear about that? 
There's one old lady, and she got excited. She ran up to the altar, put her check down, turned around and said, I'll take. I don't care who you are. <laughs> so I'm never going to preach to you that greed is a good thing. I'm never going to bring you down that path. And on the other end of that, conversism is a false doctrine, a theology that basically says the more that you suffer, the more that you're poor is the more that God loves you. And I don't accept it. They'll say that if there's any indulgences in your life, if you even have an ice cream cone, why should you have an ice cream cone? I mean, they get very specific, and, and they, they say the poorer you are, the holier you are. And I can tell you, the people that preach that aren't poor. Take it to the bank. And then number two, you, if you think that being poor is some sort of blessing, you have never experienced poverty. I've been poor before, and it is a curse from hell. And I'll tell you, there's nothing godly about it. There are people who are godly who are poor. There are people that are awful, immoral who are poor. Poverty or having wealth has nothing to do with whether or not you're right with God. Say amen, somebody. And so I know that God wants you blessed. The Bible says in 1 Timothy that God has given us all things richly to enjoy. We believe that here. And yet at the same time, God doesn't mind you having stuff. He doesn't want stuff to have you. And stuff having people is a real problem. I would say, especially in the United States, it's a real thing. Because your money and your heart are linked. Listen to the words of Christ. He says this in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Wherever your money is right now, wherever your investments are, whatever's taken up all of your money, believe me, your heart is focused on it. And conversely, if you begin to put your money in a specific area, you can direct the attention of your heart toward that. Jesus is saying it is linked together, your money and your heart. Uh, Billy Graham, the great evangelist, he said this. He said, if a person gets their attitude toward money straight, It'll help straighten out almost every other area of their life. And I've seen this to be true. Why is money so complicated for people? I will tell you, it is because money is spiritual. I've heard people say before that, well, money's just a tool. I beg to differ. Let me show you again the words of Jesus in Luke 16. The Bible says this, No servant can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or... He will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That word mammon is very significant. Mammon is a name. It's a proper noun. It's not just talking about money in the generic sense. It's talking about a specific thing. Mammon is, so I've heard it preached before. Somebody said, well, mammon is money and the things money can buy. That's very limited because mammon actually is the proper noun for a Syrian god of greed and riches. This Syrian god, literally mammon means sown in confusion. It is a spirit of confusion. And for many of us in the room, our pocketbook, our investments, our bank account has resting on it a fallen spirit, the spirit of mammon, this, this uh, spirit that's condemned to hell, that sows confusion in your financial life, and it's resting on our money. Think about the end times, by the way. How does the Antichrist come to power? He makes you take a mark with commerce, right? Why, why does that work? Because mammon makes us fearful. 
Mammon makes us doubt. We don't know. We're, we begin to strive for money. I need it. And to your credit, the Bible does say that money answereth all things. In fact, that's the only thing that the gas company wants. I've tried other things, but... So, so I get it. you you got to have commerce, but at the same time, you can't have that money have you, and that is the spirit of mammon. Let me show you how spiritual this is. A couple of years ago, there was a survey taken in the United States, and they, they asked these people, what would you do for $10 million? Like, what, what kind of... What kind of risks would you take? What would you do? And here's what we're going to do. Answer whatever you think. We're going to hold your identity separate. So just be honest. We want the real answer. Let me show you how spiritual money is. 25% said that they would abandon their entire family. (laughs) What? 23% would become a prostitute for a week or more. Well, that's not spiritual. 16% would give up their American citizenship. And what? Go to Russia? How about this one? Uh, 10% would withhold testimony, knowingly withhold testimony, letting a murderer go free. They're okay with that as long as I got $10 million, so I don't have to live next to that guy, okay? 7% would kill a stranger. How about this one? 3% would put their children up for adoption. Now, I know that there's some people in the room and you're saying, well, Pastor, that's not the spirit of mammon. I'd do that for free right now. I have a teenager. Listen, I got you, but do you see that list? That's spiritual. That is mammon. What would you do for a Klondike bar? I mean, come on, 10 million bucks and you'd put your kids, that's spiritual. And so I could give you so many different ways that mammon lies to us about our money. I'm going to give you three lies that mammon gives us. Money lies to us in three ways today. Write this down. The first one is having more money, this is a lie, it makes me more secure. Mammon will tell you that if you had more money, you'd be more secure. And I've become convinced that there is no such thing as financial security outside of doing it God's way. Just ask Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs was the mastermind behind Apple. He made a lot of money. And unfortunately, in his 50s, uh, very prematurely in his life, he got cancer and ultimately died with, with so much money, billions, really. And he was quoted as saying something to the effect of, if I would have known my life was going to play out this way, that I was going to die so young, I would have done different things with my money. And he got it, but he got it a little too late, yeah? In fact, uh, the Bible says about this concept in Proverbs 18 that the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. But here's, here's what it really is. They imagine it a wall too high to scale. See, the truth is, we have all heard stories of millionaires and billionaires that had it all and lost it all, haven't we? And so the, the wealth of the rich is their fortified city. They imagine it. It's imaginary. It's an illusion that there is anything such as as financial security outside of God. And the truth of the matter is that money cannot protect you. The Bible conveys exactly the opposite. Hebrews 13, the Bible says, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content about what you have because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Do you see the difference? We're like, money's my source. And God's like, listen, money's not your source. I'm your source, and I'm not going anywhere. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. And I imagined when I was putting this message together this week that I would take a minute here 
Because I know when we start talking about money, when we start talking about tithing, it makes people uncomfortable. That there's a fear. Why is there a fear? Because you don't know how much more month is going to be at the end of your money. And what I want to do is, as your pastor, I rebuke the spirit of fear off your life. God has not given you a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. And you can trust the God of ages to take care of you. Can I hear an amen, church? Do you, do you believe it? And so what does it say? The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere man, what can mortals do to me? Our trust is in God. Amen, somebody? Second lie people fall into is this lie that they say that the things that I own define who I am. If I just had enough money in my 401, if I just had this amount in my savings, my net worth, if I just had this much money, what would happen? If I just had this, people would listen to me. People would respect me, Pastor Joe. I would have influence. But the Bible takes issue even with that. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, Jesus says this. He says, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Because life is not measured by how much you own. Stuff cannot make you happy. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, those who love money, they're never going to have enough. How absurd to think that wealth brings true happiness. And listen, happiness, you think that stuff's going to make you happy, but even if something makes you happy, it's going to be temporary. If you want eternal happiness and eternal joy, it's going to have to be something else. If you gave me a DeLorean, which I free everybody in the sound of my voice to do, if you gave me a DeLorean, I would be a happy guy. But even that, there would come a time where all the happiness fades away. Who's happy then, Pastor Joe? Romans chapter 4, the Bible says, happy are they whose sins are forgiven, whose wrongs are pardoned. Happy is the person who the Lord doesn't consider guilty. And, and when you've been saved from much, when you remember who you used to be and who you are now, you say, God, that's where my happiness is. I don't need externals. I need you. Are you with me, everybody? That's what true happiness is. Third lie people tell themselves is this. This is a tough one. They say, my stuff belongs to me. Well, let me just tell you. I'm, I'm very conservative. I'm a rugged individualist. I, I'm ambitious. Godly ambition is a good thing. And I like going out and earning it. I, I, love, I love fighting for something great and, and, and having the, the spoils of victory. I love all of that. But listen to me. Your blessing comes from God. You need to realize that. I had to learn that my stuff does not belong to me. I'm called then to steward it. That's the Bible word, steward it. We would say in modern English, we're called to manage it really well. So our blessings come from heaven. We receive, but we don't hold on to our blessings with tight hands. We receive it, and he can get it through us. We can enjoy it in the meantime. We, we will manage it well, but we need to realize that we are blessed. Even the most modest earner in the room, if you have the, the least amount of money, you live in the United States of America. You have options. And even though you might work hard and be able to earn a lot, that talent is on loan from God. You wouldn't be able to take your next breath without him. And so we need to realize that blessing does not come from the government. Amen. Blessing does not come by chance. It doesn't come just from your career or your strength. You could not take your next move in life without God. We believe at New Chapel, what does First Chronicles say? It says, praise be to you, O Lord. God of the Father of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting, 
Yours, O God, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over it all. Check this. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to who? To all. And that's the will of God. He wants to exalt you. He wants you to experience his abundance. But you got to realize that your stuff is not your stuff. We believe that only God. The love of money is a spiritual disease. It's the spirit of mammon. Now, what does it look like to get free from this? First Timothy, the Bible says this in First Timothy 6. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and do many foolish and harmful desires. They plunge men into ruin and destruction. For, the Bible says, the love of money is a root, a root, a, is a root of all kinds, all kinds of evil. Now, my grandma, she was a godly woman. We sat at the back of North Chester Baptist Church. Why? It was the quickest way to get out it when the service was done, okay? And she told me that the love of money is the root of all evil. But she misquoted the Bible, She meant well. Maybe you had somebody that loved you and they told you that. That's just not what the Bible says. You can't find it. It says that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Adam and Eve didn't fall in the garden because of money. There are perverts out there that do heinous things, have nothing to do with money. So, So sin and money aren't the same thing. Money can be used as a tool, but when you love it, you mess it up. The Bible says this. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. The longer that you hold on to the love of money in your life, the more it will corrupt and destroy your life. Notice what the scripture says here. Leave this up for just a second. It says that if you do this, you're headed towards all kinds of evil. The Bible says that it's not God that's cursed you. It says that you pierce yourself with many griefs. And ultimately, if you don't wrestle this mammon thing down, if you're tight, if you're defensive today, and you don't take the next step to wrestle it down in God's word, ultimately, you might walk away from your Christian faith. It's that serious. This is serious. Do you see it? This money thing is tied to our hearts. And so the principle that I want to give you today, it does change everything. So the question would be, how do we get the spirit of mammon off our money, Pastor Joe? How do we get God's spirit on our money? How do we overcome the love of money? Write it down. It's the tithe. In fact, that is the only, the singular way that you can get the spirit of mammon out of your life. A tenth of all you produce is the Lord's, and it is Holy. Holy means set apart for specific use. God looks at that tithe. And by the way, you don't give the tithe, you return 10%, that you're returning it to the Lord. It's holy. It's set apart. Well, how do I know which one's the tithe? Just the first one you touch. That's how you know what the tithe is. And so we need to be the people that, that realize that. And here's what I know. Every Christian, whether you're new to the faith or you've been in it for a long time, you instinctively know that that giving and honoring God financially is a part of your Christian walk. And yet at the same time, I know that many people don't know what that looks like. What do I do? How much do I give? How do I get out of this grip of fear because I feel it, Pastor Joe? How do I get free of this junk? I want to be free, but I don't know how to do it. And I want this so bad for you because I know the freedom that it brings. People have been riddled 
with anxiety over their finances, but when you can rest and trust your God in it, there is a confidence that comes on you in addition to the blessing of God. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to that classic passage. It's in the book of Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Now, in this book, uh, I'll give you a little synopsis, uh, a view from 30,000 feet. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament before we get into the Gospels. And Israel is, in essence, questioning. They're saying, like, God, we don't know why you left. It seems like God is gone. And, And it got really bad. And God is is speaking through his prophet Malachi, and he's giving him a word because uh, God wants to share, there's there's really four big headings, four things that you did to kick me out. And the first thing that he brings up in Malachi is the fact that you are not worshiping me like you used to. You're not worshiping me with everything in you, with passion. Uh, In Jewish days, yes, they lifted their hands and sang to the Lord, this is true, but they also would make sacrifices to God. And God is saying, you are sacrificing these cross-eyed animals with broken legs, and you're going to eat them anyway. You're giving me your last and not your best. And I'm I'm, I'm offended that you would do that. I'm God. And then he says this. He says, "Uh, I don't like the way that you're treating the major relationships in your life. So like, think of the blessing of God like an umbrella. He's, He's saying, when you treat your wife like that, I can't bless you. When you get out from the blessing, the umbrella of God, I can't bless sin. And so you got to get back under. And and then he goes to this fact. He says, I'm God. I'm going to make certain judgments about things. I'm going to make certain discernments. I have certain principles that I want to bring forth. And I'm God. I have the right to do it. See, everybody doesn't want to go to hell. I mean, we want to go to heaven. But you realize when you make Jesus Lord, you accept a God. And wouldn't it stand to reason that if you have a God in your life, he's not going to think like you. He's going to ask you to do things that are not what you would think would work. Like, that's what a God is. He gets to tell you the way to do it. And and so you have to say, otherwise God would only be as big as your mind could comprehend. And as great as you are, you'd make an awful God. And so so he deals with that. And then he ultimately lands on this in Malachi 3. He talks about how our our money is tied to both worship and blessing. Here we go, Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to start in verse 6. I am the Lord, and I do not change. Remember that. Even if you go into the New Testament, Old Testament, God's character is still the same. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not accepted them. And so he's saying, hey, not only are you wrong, but your parents, your grandparents, y'all thought you found a better way. Verse 7, return to me. And that's what I want to help you to do today. Return to God. Return to me and I'll return to you, says the Lord. A little mere man rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? Here's the answer, quick, in tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. God is saying, I'm not cursing you, you're cursing you. I told you how this works, you won't do it. I'm God, you're not. Buy into this, you are robbing me, and it's putting something on your life. Verse 10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. Remember that word? that there might be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates, the windows of heaven, and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Well, the first thing that I see in there is is that word storehouse. And, And last week, we talked about how you have a storehouse. You have three. 
God is saying, I have a storehouse. I want you to tithe. And and this in the New Testament, it's the local church. It was the temple back then. It's the church today. He says, I want you to bring it to the church. Did you know that God does not want his church limping and struggling to get by? And I believe that this church, you're more generous than the average church. I, I believe it. But listen to me. Jesus died to build something. It's his church, and he doesn't want it broke. He wants us to be able to do his will. And New Chapel, by the way, we model this for you. For over 10 years, we've lived on 90% of what comes in these doors. Ten, at least 10% we've sent outside of these walls to world missions and church planning and outreaches. We've done it faithfully and consistently, modeled this. And what does he say? Test me. God Almighty says, I get it. There's a certain amount of anxiety with this because of the more month than money concept. I get it, but put me to the test. And I want it so badly for you because God's floodgates will open over your life. Verse 11, here we go. He says, I will rebuke the devourer for your sake. So Pastor Joe, the enemy's coming after me. I'm getting these unexpected bills. Feels like somebody's eating my lunch. Are you tithing? Because God says that that's when he comes to your rescue, and I'm going to rebuke the devourer for your sakes so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground. Oh, that's uh, so agrarian. In our culture, it would be like this, like, like your regular paycheck. He's not going to take your regular sustenance, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit. This would be your intermediate use storehouse, the residuals, the dividends. He says, like a vine takes years before it produces fruit. He's saying that is going to be blessed. I'm going to have the vine not fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. And then verse 12, all nations will call you blessed for you will be a delightful land, saith the Lord of hosts. Lord of hosts there, maybe you have a translation that says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's saying all of heaven stands at attention. We will defend this principle. Test me in it. That's the heart of your God. The world needs to see this. The generation almost maybe two generations before, they were called the greatest generation, the golden generation. And they were called that for many reasons. One of the reasons is they kicked butt and took names in World War II, but they also came home, worked hard, and gave a lot. And all the nations of this world admired the United States as a Christian beacon of light, a city on a hill. And we need to be the people of God that when we give, God blesses us so much that we're able to bless other people and nations look at us as blessing. I will tell you even today, when I've traveled to different parts of the world, I've heard stories, oh, they they don't like Americans here or there. They all like Americans because money's green and it spends there just like everywhere else. And they see that God has blessed us. It's undeniable. Now, you need to understand this also. Let me make it granular. God wants it so all nations see you blessed. He wants your neighbors. He wants your family to see the blessing of God on your life. He wants you so blessed that they know you're a Christian, by the way. He wants you so blessed that they're like, how does this work? Because my way doesn't work. How how does your God provide in this way? That's what God wants this to be. It's a testimony. So what's the primary way, the first way, the paramount way that God wants to partner with us financially? It's the tithe. And here's what that looks like. Let me be very specific. The tithe is worshiping God by returning the first 10% of your gross wages, your income to him, and you do it at the church. So feed the children doesn't have the power to bless your money. 
Other charities that you think are cool, awesome. You should give to charity. They don't have the blessing to receive the tithe and release blessing on your life. They don't have the authority to do that. And so, so it is you returning this and trusting God in that. It's the first thing that we do financially as Christians. Okay, now, I know that there are a lot of people that when I talk about this, you have questions. And they're typically the same questions, just to let you know. Uh, some people, they mean really well, but they're hung up on something that they were told or maybe even a doctrinal thing. And so what I want to do is, is kind of give an answer to some of these questions and statements that have undermined the tithe throughout the years. Here we go. The first question that I get most often from church people is, well, isn't tithing just Old Testament law? Y'all look at me. Tithe was in the law. The tithe was in the Mosaic law, uh, Moses wrote. But, but, but the law, by the way, is only a quarter of the Old Testament. Tithing, actually, though, if you studied out, though it was in the law, it predates the law. It actually transcends all of history, and it continues. We have record of the early church honoring God with the tithe all the way through up until about the last 40 years. Christians worldwide, they knew, I'm born again, I'm going to honor God with the tithe. And so the tithe is a law that you will read about in the Mosaic law, but so is thou shall not murder. Well, I'm redeemed from the curse of the law. Okay, you're scaring me because that means that if I say the wrong thing to you, it's the Old West. Okay, no duels allowed at New Chapel. All the masculine men, I get it. Take it out on pheasant hunts. We don't want you to do a duel. Of course you're not going to kill anybody. Why? Because you know they had to articulate some pretty th- uh, things pretty straightforward in the law because people weren't born again. But that doesn't mean that the truth, the principle, the spiritual law didn't exist before. Before you couldn't kill anybody, you couldn't kill anybody after the law, God doesn't want you to murder anybody uh, in the New Testament. It's the same thing. Though we're not under the law and we have to obey the sacrifices, the spiritual truth survives. Back in the Old Testament, let me show it to you. Uh, uh, Adam and Eve were uh, in creation and they were given stewardship over the entire garden. There was one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, if you remember, I want you to keep the whole garden, including that tree, but don't eat of that tree. Now, I'm convinced there was the same type of fruit on other trees. Like, it it was the same breed as some other ones in the garden, but don't touch that one. God always puts something in your life that you are called to steward, you are called to manage, but you are not called to partake of. Abraham, in the book of Genesis 14 and verse 20, he paid tithes to Melchizedek way before the law. In the New Testament, yes, we have record of the early church, but we also have to realize that this continued all the way to 40 years ago, and in specific, I'm talking about in the 1980s, towards the end of that decade, there were two TV preachers that slipped up. I'm not going to say their names. Many of you know who I'm talking about. When they slipped up, what happened was people in the body of Christ in America, they stopped tithing for the most part and began to tip. And it was because they didn't trust men of God because of two bad apples. And you know what? There's been a reasonable amount of redemption in at least one of their lives, and I thank God for it. But that is their circumstances, their behavior is no reason for us not to follow this this, uh, command of God, this blessing that we have in our life. We get to obey God with the tithe. Say amen, somebody. How does this look? Uh, Write it down. Number one, the tithe communicates God is first. Your outlook, the way that you look at it, is that, God, you're first in in my financial life. 
And Deuteronomy says it. The purpose of tithing is to teach you always to put God in first place in your life. That's the purpose. It was the purpose before the Mosaic Law and after the Mosaic Law. And by the way, in the New Testament, Jesus says, hey, I'm not, I'm not going away with all of that. In fact, New Testament, the law's baseline. I've got bigger fish to fry. I've got more for you to do. Well, you say, Pastor Joe, what does this look like in the New Testament? So glad y'all asked. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians 16. Paul says this. He says, on the first day of every week. So, so uh, Sabbath, the Saturday, this was when temple synagogue would happen. They would also have a day of rest. Jesus rose from the dead on a Sunday. And we have historical record from that moment that the early church began to worship God in church, a New Testament church. They did that on Sunday. So the first day of every week, every week, each one of you, so this is an all play, you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income. And so, so set aside, this to me speaks about intentionality, about being intentional with this. I, I don't want you to come into New Chapel and give because I'm going to give you some miracle water from the Grand River. I don't want you to give to New Chapel and pay your tithes because if you don't, then I'm not going to send you your prayer napkin with oil on it. The Bible specifically tells men of God like me not to make you give under compulsion. You need to be intentional. You set it aside. And, and how do you do it? In keeping with your income. This is a very elegant way of saying it's by percentage. It's in relation to your income. Well, Pastor Joe, I need a little bit more clear than that in the New Testament. Okay, I'm glad you asked. The words of Jesus Christ in Matthew 23, 23, he says, yes, you should tithe. <laughs> You shouldn't leave the more important things undone either. Well, that tells me a lot, to be sure, but a couple things would be, first, Jesus says you should tithe. That's really good doctrine. The second thing is, he says, you got bigger stuff to do. Don't, don't leave the more important things done either. Now, for Christmas this past year, I bought uh, my three boys a bike. And uh, I'm a little bit of that gruff dad, you know. And so my older boys, I wouldn't let them have training wheels. And to which Kaya scolded me and scolded me for all of the skinned knees. But uh, I, I thought it was the best thing. And, uh. and so uh, my youngest son, though, she put her foot down. She said, Frank, Frank just turned four. He needs training wheels. Okay. So Frank's got a little bike, and he puts his little helmet on. It looks like BB-8 from Star Wars, and he gets on his little bike, and it has training wheels. Can you answer for me, why do you put training wheels on a bike? So you can learn balance. The tithe is your training wheels. I think it is so cute when Christians think that God only wants 10% of your money. God wants all of your money. He just wants you to return 10%. And it's, this, it's on the same level, I would say, as baptism. You get born again, you get baptized, you begin to tithe. These are the basic things that are part of Christianity. It's the training wheels to help get yourself oriented a little bit because you just wait. God's going to ask for something big. Now, you never need to be afraid when God asks you to give something big, no, no matter how much money you have, because if you obey, it's going to be good for you. He's a good God. Say amen, somebody. Okay, another question that people ask me is, Pastor Joe, why percentage? It sounds like the mob trying to take a cut of my money. Why, why do a percentage? I want to be very clear about this. In both, there is an equal sacrifice to worship with. Not an equal amount. 
I mean, could you imagine? You accept Christ, and all of a sudden you get an invoice from heaven every day, $25, $25, you know? And hey, listen, uh, because of great decisions from your government, it's going to be going up to 30 here in a couple of weeks, you know? No, it's not pay to play. There's not an equal amount, but there is equal sacrifice. The most modest earner and the most uh, uh, dynamic earner, we'll say, the, the person that earns the most money, they have the, the same sacrifice to worship God with. It feels the same. Do you see it? And so this is why God does it. God doesn't ask for all of your money return, just the first tenth. And God needs none of your money, by the way. He needs your heart. And you need godly order in your life. Say amen, somebody. Tithing is the only antidote to this love of money. Number two, honoring God with the tithe breaks the curse off from your finances. Maybe you want to take your phone out, take a picture of this. This is pretty weighty. Honoring God with the tithe breaks the curse, the curse of mammon, the curse of this world's fallen economy, the curse of the law. It breaks it off from your finances. Tithing does what? It releases God's blessing in your life. It puts a hedge around your household finances. Tithing releases favor upon you in the workplace for, for raises and for promotion. Tithing becomes a testimony of the provision and goodness of God. Here it is, because the world is watching, and they are. Does your God come through for you? And you have this built-in test to say, my God meets all of my needs. Now, guys, that's pretty thick. I've got to press on, but the next thought that I get most honestly, uh, most often to, to oppose the tithe is people say, Pastor Joe, I can't afford to tithe. They say, I can't afford it. To which, everybody look at me. I love you. That's exactly my point. You can't afford to tithe until you tithe. When you tithe, that's when you can afford to tithe. That's when you begin to see his blessing on your life. And I think that's why God, in his grace, he says, test me in this. Really put me to the test, because I want to come through for you. Uh, in your seat back or in your weekly today, you received a three-month tithe challenge. This is an all-play, everybody. I want this in everybody's hands. I want you to pull this out and hold this. New Chapel is willing to put our neck on the line because God said, try me now in this. So here's what this looks like. If, if you're a person, you say, man, I, I know I need a tithe. I know I need to take that step, but it's scary. If you sign up for the three-month tithe challenge, here's what we'll do. You'll give your tithe for three months, and if at the end you'd say, Pastor Joe, honestly, God did not come through for me like I thought. Uh, I thought there'd be uh, better things happening, or, or I still experienced some sort of deficit in my financial life that, uh, that, that was wrong, and, and it was to my detriment. If you have anything like that, no questions asked. You don't even need to say that much. We will rate you a check for 100% of what you gave in that three-month period of time. Try me now in this, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open up the windows of heaven. New Chapel believes in the Bible to the spot where we say, I'll put myself out there. We'll pay you back on all of it if God doesn't come through. Now I will tell you, Nobody has ever taken me up on it in the many, many years that we've offered this. And in fact, here's what I know. When I get off the platform today, I am going to be rushed by people that say, Pastor Joe, if you need a testimony of this, use my testimony. Because I was that guy, and I thought I could never tithe. I could never afford it. And then I did it, and God came through for me. I go further with the 90% with God's blessing than I ever could with the 100% in my selfishness. God came through for me. Let me tell my story. I'm telling you, it's already happened today, and it'll happen after this service. 
because God is faithful. And so we can test God, but here's what I've realized. Write this down. Number three, the tithe is actually a test for you too. It's a test of your faith. God says, try me now in this, test me. But really, it's going to be whether or not you have faith in your God enough to take that step. Okay, so, so another person says, hey, I get percentage giving, but Pastor Joe, why 10%? That seems like so much because it's enough to get your attention. If it were just 2%, if it was, if it was 0.025, you'd be like, take it. God bless you if that's what helps the church. You know? I mean, you just, whatever. 10% gets your attention. 10% makes you have to have faith that God's going to come through on his promises. And honestly, it's unlike 2% or whatever you can afford. Or Pastor Joe, I want to work up to the tithe again. That's the base level. God wants to come through, but it is a test. The last thing that I face most often is, is sometimes people will say it. Most often they won't say it, but they mean it. And they'll, they'll have this, this concept that the church doesn't need my money. My friend, that's not the currency that I'm dealing with you today. In fact, what I've shared with you is about your relationship with God. And the fact of the matter is the church doesn't need your money. For years, the church has gotten by with a few people who shoulder all of the responsibility. But let me tell you what it would look like if you obeyed God. If you obeyed God with the tithe, we had 100% tithers, Chapel Ridge daycares, tuition-free. I mean, day one. We offer it free for everybody. Uh, the second thing that would happen, we'd be able to open a school, K through high school, and it would be tuition-free if we had 100% tithers. Can I just tell you, if we had people that were engaged in tithing on every level, hypothetically, if there was a building that came to <laughs> And, and the truth of the matter is we'd be able to do all of that debt-free. We'd be able to, to have more go to outreaches and missions and expansion and discipleship. And even if you're sitting in here today and you're bucking at what I'm saying, you're like, no, nah, I don't want it. Please let us lead this way. Because New Chapel, nothing short of a miracle, has been carried through every financial strain we've ever faced. We have operated at least at 90% of what comes in. In fact, this year, I'm happy to report 11.5% out of every bit that's come in has gone to outreach and world missions. That's awesome. There has been 136 people who have documented salvations that got saved at New Chapel. 57 people got water baptized. Come on, somebody. It is working. God wants food in his house so that we can go out there and reach people who are far from God and take care of people who love him and worship him. So, so how do you tap into the power of the tithe? I'm sold, Pastor Joe. How do I do it? A couple of things. Jot them down. You need to begin now. Like, make the decision. In fact, honestly, most of you have already made the decision. You just need to admit it. You need to make the decision to do it now because you're not going to do it last. Try worshiping God with the last tenth. No, make it the first. Put your faith behind it in prayer and ask God to honor his word because he always does. And don't grow weary in doing the right thing because in due season you will reap 
if you do not lose heart. The tithe is not a debt you owe. It's a seed that you sow. God is not taking that money because he needs it. That money leaves your hand, but it never leaves your life. When I was 17 years old, pushing grocery carts at Plum's Grocery Store in Nuego, making $6.35 an hour with my union pin on my little jacket that they gave me. I began to fall in love with Jesus. When I rededicated my life to God, I began to tithe. And for my entire adult life, though I have faced financial strain like everybody else, I have seen God's faithfulness. He's brought me through every single challenge I've ever had. God's brought us into this facility miraculously. He is faithful. I believe that when you begin to tithe, this is the typical story. Somebody begins to trust God, and God comes through in a demonstrative way initially to show you his faithfulness. He'll put a hedge of protection around you, release uncommon favor, and honestly, my friend, it's the only way to experience his abundance. Do you receive the word today, New Chapel? Amen. <laughs> Heavenly Father, I pray for my church. God, I know that they have weighty decisions. For some of them, it's a big test. And God, I pray that they would pass the test, that they would honor you with their finances, with the tithe. God, I know that some people, they're struggling. They're coming up with all kinds of reasons. And here's what I know, God. That's the spirit of mammon contesting for their heart. God, I pray that they would never fear what man could do to them, but they would have absolute faith in the God that would never leave them nor forsake them. Lord, I thank you that you meet them where they're at. I pray that they'd be bold enough to take next steps. And God, as I preach a message about tithing, I thank you, Lord, that you sent your best. God, you sent your tithe, your first and best, your one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross with our name on it. Thank you, Lord, for modeling that for us. And thank you, God, that we can have confidence that with every death in Christ, there's a glorious resurrection. Lord, if there's anybody in the sound of my voice that doesn't know you, help me to find them in Jesus' name. Heads bowed, eyes closed. If you came into this room and you need to get your life right with God, the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's you, you want to get your life right with God, I want to give you that opportunity. When you call him Lord, you'll go to heaven. You'll, you'll avoid a Christless hell when you die. This is true. But the abundant life that you need, it's found the moment that you make him Lord. And so we're going to say a prayer. Church, pray this with people who are praying it for the very first time. Pray it out loud, all of us together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross in my place for my sin so I can be forgiven. You raised Jesus from the dead. This I believe. So with my heart and with these words, I confess. Jesus Christ is my Lord. I surrender now. Jesus, I call on you. Come into my life. Forgive my sin. Put your spirit within me. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for making all things new. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Let's give it up for those people that accept it. Hey, louder than that new chapel, come on. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine on you. Be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. And as you go, love you guys. See you next week. 
We hope that you were encouraged and brought closer to God during this message. You can listen to any of our past messages and series either on this podcast or on newchapel.com slash watch. And be sure to connect with us on Facebook or Instagram to stay up to date on everything happening here at New Chapel.